You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. About one in eight U.S. women will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. Since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Laura Bazzuto joined the Women's Health Cast to talk about breast cancer symptoms, the latest in screening guidelines, and how to lower your breast cancer risk. Dr. Bazzuto is an OBGYN with specialty training in breast cancer surgery. I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Laura Bazzuto today about breast health. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Thank you for having me. Um, your combined specialty, I want, I want you to tell me a little bit more about it because I think it's pretty unique in our institution. Um, so tell me a little bit about what your practice looks like and why people come to see you. Sure. Um, yeah, so I have a combined practice of both obstetrics and gynecology and um, breast surgical oncology. So I completed training in both um, OBGYN and breast surgical oncology. Um, so here I see the full spectrum of women who uh, need care for G- benign GYN issues, obstetrics, as well as breast health and breast cancer. In addition to cancer, breast cancer concerns, what other kinds of breast health questions do people come to you with? People come with, to me with all kinds of questions, everything from lumps that they may have felt to pain that they have. Um, and so I help them assess uh, what they're, they may be um, experiencing in their breasts and uh, appropriate screening or um, assessment of those concerns. And then I also... Uh, talk to patients about understanding their risk for breast cancer and factors that can be identified, um, family risk, family history, and what we can help modify or change for them. So what are some of those risks? Yeah, um, so family history is a big one um, and assessing um, risk for cancer that may have occurred in their family. So being able to identify people who may benefit from genetic screening And then also modifiable risk factors for people, such as obesity, um, breastfeeding, exercise patterns, and alcohol. Breastfeeding? Tell me more. Yeah, breastfeeding has actually been shown to decrease women's risk of breast cancer So, um, in many studies. And so that's one of the things that women can do to, uh, if they're concerned and of childbearing age to help uh, decrease that risk that we know. How common is breast cancer? Uh, unfortunately, it's it's really common in the United States. Um, about one in eight women will have breast cancer um, in their lifetime, um, which is about 12 or 13 percent of women in the United States. Um, it's more common as we as women age, um, and so that risk is highest in postmenopausal women. How is it usually detected? Um, it's usually found, like I said, in postmenopausal women, um, and usually by screening, so mammography. What are the current guidelines on breast screening? So, you know, approximately when do people need to start getting them? Sure. This is a actually complicated issue, and there are many different uh, organizations that have weighed in with different guidelines on um, breast uh, cancer screening, and they're all based on different interpretations of the same evidence. So, um, in general, mammography should be the screening method of choice for women, um, and 
in general, women should start getting, should definitely be screening um, by age 50 um, with annual mammograms. Um, between 40 and 50, the screening recommendations differ. Um, and so I recommend patients talk to their doctors and, I, and see if they have any of those risk factors um, that may predispose them to earlier risk of cancer and to discuss with their doctor about when would be right for them to, t to start screening. Are these screenings um, part of an annual well visitor checkup that people are kind of used to doing on a regular basis? They should be. They should be ordered as part of the sort of annual well visit exam. So between visits, in addition to these screenings, um, are there uh, like changes or symptoms that we should be on the lookout for ourselves um, that might suggest some things happening in our breast that we need to be aware of? Um, breast, breast awareness is what we now advocate for women. So just being aware of the general size, shape, um, and feel of their breasts um, and things to watch for in particular, would that would be something to bring to your doctor's attention, would be um, new nipple discharge, rashes or changes to the skin uh, appearance or consistency on the breasts, any lumps or new masses that you may feel, um, or just general um, asymmetry or difference between the two breasts. So what happens after someone's breast screening comes back with uh, a result that might suggest cancer or something else to be concerned about? There's a few steps that happen after that. Um, one of the reasons why the screening recommendations are somewhat confusing is that, unfortunately, false positive results are common with screening. So a result that says there may be something there, but we don't know yet. So that often leads women to have to come back for additional imaging. This can be a source of stress for many women, but it's common. So about one in nine women will have to come back for additional um, views. That doesn't mean that they all have cancer, um, but it can be a source of significant stress. So the next steps generally after a screening mammogram would be coming back to the radiologist's office for additional mammogram um, pictures. So they may do different uh, angles or more compression in order to see, uh, get a better picture of what's going on there. Um, sometimes they also additionally do an ultrasound of the breast to try to get a better assessment of what might be um, in that area of interest. So what happens, um, somebody comes back for that second round of imaging and we figure out, yes, this is likely breast cancer. Um, can you kind of walk me through some of the options for treatment? What does it look like? Sure. So after um, the additional imaging, then people have a biopsy. So the biopsy is a sampling of the area of the breast and that tissue goes to a pathologist who examines it and then um, determines if the area is cancer. So after a diagnosis from the pathologist of cancer, um, the next stop is often um, meeting with someone like myself, a breast surgeon. Um, and 
I'm one of many people on the breast cancer team. So the team's made up of my, someone like myself, a surgical oncologist, a a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist, often also a plastic surgeon, maybe even a geneticist, occupational therapist. Uh, There's many people who help take care of patients here. Um, But one of the first stops is often meeting with someone like me to discuss what is usually um, or often the first step in treatment, which is surgery. And it's a, it sounds like a big team, so there are other people who help with maybe follow-up chemotherapy or follow-up radiation. Yes, that's true. There's a lot of us, um, and so the treatment plans are very individualized for patients based on their exact um, tumor and the characteristics there of their cancer and what uh, treatments they may need and benefit from. Once uh, treatment plans kind of established and worked through, um, what kinds of follow-up do you do with patients? Um, So after treatment, um, patients see um, the members of their treatment team for um, follow-up surveillance, looking for any signs of recurrence, um, but also to pay attention to the rest of their health. And so one of the uh, elements that's of their ongoing care is a survivorship plan. And that has to do with um, addressing not only what happened with their treatment for their cancer, but also what kinds of um, health issues that they also have and how those can be addressed to maximize their health. So something I think that's really interesting about your intersection of skills and specialties um, is this combination of breast health and OBGYN care. So you mentioned um, that breast cancer is really more common in peri- or postmenopausal women, and that made me think a little bit about um, how how does breast cancer af- possibly affect or possibly change someone's um, options for managing menopause symptoms? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and so that's one of the things that I love about my training and what I'm able to do um, is to be able to address some of these issues with patients. Um, And so our first choice is always to look for non-hormonal methods of being able to manage um, women's symptoms. And so there are some non-hormonal options to help with menopause symptoms. Um, But if if someone's having really severe issues, there are some Um, other options that we can discuss with in combination with their medical oncologist and the patient to discuss potential um, uh, even hormonal treatments for some of these more bothersome um, menopausal symptoms. And uh, one of the things that I love is being able to, to work as part of the team and being part of the team to help patients really address things that are bothering them. So why, what about breast cancer makes you steer away from um, things like hormone therapy or for menopause treatments? What's the connection? Yeah, um, the most common form of breast cancer is um, responsive to estrogen and progesterone in the body. And so um, that's one of the reasons why uh, long-term treatments for 
um, breast cancer are anti-hormone medications um, that help decrease the uh, breast tissue's response to estrogen and progesterone. So that's why our first choice is to avoid some of these hormones. So to kind of wrap up, is there anything people can do to prevent or lower their um, breast cancer risk or improve their overall breast health? Sure. Um, This is a question that I get often in the clinic, and so I'm glad to be able to talk about it. Um, The number one risk factor for breast cancer is age, and so unfortunately there's nothing we can do about that. Um, And most breast cancer is sporadic, so not related to family history or genetics. And so, um, again, some... Unfortunately, sometimes we don't know why it occurs. There are some things that have been shown to be associated with an increased risk of breast cancer that we can um, address. And some of those things are being at a healthy weight. So women who are after menopause who are overweight um, have about a two times increased risk of breast cancer. Um, Decreased alcohol, so lower alcohol intake decreases the risk of breast cancer, Um, and exercise. So exercising regularly can lower the risk of breast cancer as well. There's things that we can't control, like when when women first got their periods or when they went through menopause. Those are things that are out of our control. Um, Even family history is out of our control, but bringing your family history to your doctor's attention um, to be able to identify if you would benefit from genetic screening that may um, identify if you have an increased risk um, is important. Thank you so much for joining me. Great. Thank you for having me. Imagine if getting a birth control prescription was as easy as picking up the phone or opening an app and answering just a few questions about your health. On the UW-Madison campus, Dr. Mary Landry made that happen. Listen to the next Women's Health Cast to learn more about how telehealth contraception makes it easier for UW-Madison students to access birth control and what similar programs and apps mean for birth control availability in an increasingly restrictive landscape. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topic you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.